blind? Deploy the garrison! Move! Hey, Star Wars fans, this is Ro from the ever-imperial, always-sunny Scarif podcast. Recently, it's come to our attention that there's been a security leak here on Scarif Station. I call on all our Imperial agents to be vigilant and to scan the holonet for news and rebel rumblings. I call upon you to access the Jedi Temple Archives podcast for the latest in Star Wars news. Again, this is Ro from the Scare of Podcast, and that's the Scuttlebutt. Hey, this is Taylor Gray, Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels, and you are listening to the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. Taylor Gray and Ezra Bridger say out. Welcome to episode 27 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans welcome to another episode of the jedi temple archives podcast i'm your host rob and i am joined this week by my co-host tom uh, as well as another guest that we have uh, named mark lorenzo and mark is actually someone who i met through the application process of the disney parks moms panel which is a a group of individuals that are very familiar with the disney parks and kind of the process of planning a disney vacation and who volunteer uh, or contract with disney to lend their input into answering people's questions who are interested in taking a, a disney vacation or, or getting information about the disney parks so uh, mark is very knowledgeable about the disney parks and uh, is also a huge star wars fan so certainly something that we have in common there and uh, gentlemen thank you both for joining me this week Thanks. It's good to be here. Always a pleasure being on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, Rob. I'm telling you, Tom, we got to work on on some variety there. (laughs) (laughs) Up next week. All right. Uh, And uh, just for the record here, we are recording this episode on Monday, September 23rd, 2019. So uh, the topic that we're going to jump into this week, I just got back from my first trip out to the Disneyland Resort and uh, spending quite a bit of time in the land of, uh, of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge on the planet of Batu out there. And uh, Mark actually had also uh, gone on a Disneyland vacation a few weeks ago and, and gotten his first look at Galaxy's Edge as well. Uh, meanwhile, we've got Tom, who is an old hat at this. He's been he's been okay. visiting Batu as far back as uh, the beginning of June of this year when that first opened out at Disneyland Resort. So uh, one of the kind of conversations that we got into around uh, those trips and, and visits to Galaxy's Edge was kind of Mark and I had our first impressions on what we thought about it after seeing tons of videos and uh, articles written about it to get in there and experience it firsthand. And then uh, in talking with Tom, you know, they're they're visited. I don't know, Tom, how many times have you guys been there? Probably six or seven. Uh, Yeah, it's around that. I've lost track actually at this point, but we've been there at least five, six, maybe seven times for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from from our conversation, it sounds like you're still picking up details and uh, noticing things that you hadn't seen before. So 
it's going to kind of give us a little bit of uh, variety in terms of this episode and and uh, talking about what we've picked up on and our favorite little tidbits about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And uh, then we'll kind of wrap it up with some of our conversations around what we're excited to see with uh, with that particular land in the future. So I guess let's just go ahead and jump right in. Mark, uh, why don't you give us an idea of kind of what your expectations were going in and then, you know, how that first visit panned out for you? Sure. Uh, I've been to Disneyland probably about nine or 10 times. I haven't been since like five years ago. So uh, I typically go to Walt Disney World a little bit more, like three times a year. But I was so excited for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and just to even walk in there. And I, like Robert said, um, they watched a lot of videos and a lot of stuff online, but there's nothing like I recorded as I walked in and I was blown away. Um, my, my, you know, jaw just dropped and I kept turning corner and seeing something new and something like, it's like better than being in a movie set because movie sets are 2d you walk behind them and there's nothing this is like 3d where everything there's corners and even the way the doorways open like there's they kind of like open like in the movies they slide across the one store forgot the name doc Ondor's store and it, the door swishes to the side and it's like a big circular door and then when you first see the millennium falcon it's just amazing because it's life-size, you know, <laughs> it's one-on-one. And then there's stormtroopers walking around, interacting, and it's so immersive. I didn't get to see Kylo Ren at all, but then there was a, um, I couldn't figure out who she was, but she, I saw her a lot, the V. Morty. Uh, the v-, v. Morati character, yep. Yeah, and you guys had mentioned on your previous uh, Jedi Temple uh, archive podcast that she's from the book and I actually downloaded the book <laughs> to read it and find out who she was and I downloaded the audible version of it too so you guys influenced <laughs> already it's really cool because I also got the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge A Crash of Fate and and they do a lot of references to things in, in Black Spire Outpost so it was kind of like an extra addition to the whole thing but I, I just was blown away I went I stayed seven nights and went there like twice a day. So to experience new things, to try new, you know, we'll talk about maybe the restaurants later. Oh, for sure. The experience, I did not do the Jedi lightsaber experience or the droid, but I went into the droid factory and and that was pretty amazing in itself. They have a lot of little souvenirs. I ended up getting my son a um, RK5 t-shirt. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, it took me a little while even to realize that I'd walk past Mobu's Droid Depot probably three or four times before I realized what it was that I was walking past. But, uh, you know, kind of as Mark was saying, uh, I had a very similar experience on my first trip into the land. No amount of video or articles or any of that type of thing can prepare you for walking into that space. Uh, when we first entered the land, um, I believe, Tom, that we came in kind of to the imperial portion of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you walk into the land and the, first and foremost, I mean, Disney does an amazing job with that transition. I had read a lot about the fact that they were kind of constricting your viewpoint and then opening it up. And, and they do that uh, in a number of places throughout the parks for a very dramatic reveal. And it certainly worked here. But you know, the next thing you know, you're standing in Galaxy's Edge and in the world of Black Spire Outpost there. And immediately to my right, I've got the, you know, the Thai shuttle and you've got uh, an Imperial uh, shop kind of off to the right. You've got your stormtroopers up on the gantry overhead. And it was, you know, just incredible. Uh, All of a sudden you're there. And as Mark said, I mean, it is so fully fleshed out and so detailed. Every doorway has a control panel that looks like something right out of the movie. Um, The first time that we were in there, I really didn't get to play much with the uh, data pad and the Play Disney Parks app. But uh, Tom's wife, Michelle, was was certainly uh, running missions kind of as we were walking around the land. And uh, it looked like a lot of fun. And I immediately got into doing that uh, probably a couple of visits later. But, you know, uh, whether it's the shops, whether it's the marketplace, whether it's the restaurants, every place you walked into, there was so much detail to see. And, you know, Tom was even mentioning that he was he was recognizing uh, things that he had missed in the past as well. So. Definitely uh, a experience that I would recommend to any Star Wars fan out there. If you're on the fence about going to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you really should uh, consider going. I know it can be a pricey experience, a pricey vacation, but 
I think a lot of Star Wars fans grew up kind of wishing they could step into that world. And this is truly a place where you can do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I still to this day, and you just talked about it, Rob, we we go in there, especially like someplace like Doc Ondar's, uh, you, you, there's so much detail work in there that you don't pick up the first time through. It can get a little crowded in there. So you're kind of maneuvering through and you're looking at all the items to purchase, of course. But then you look up and just look at some of the various artifacts from around and uh, there's things you'll pick up right away and, and you'll notice. And then the, the closer you look, the more you see uh, something that references this film or something that references a show that's yet to come, as a matter of fact, or something that's uh, references uh, something from the anime series it, it's incredible and they, it's throughout the land when you go through and and you look if you if you just focus on what's in front of you if you keep blinders on yes you're going to get a wonderful star wars experience just in that but every once in a while when you look up or, or you look down and you just notice some of the little detail work that they did within this land to make it look lived in to make it look like it's thousands of years old it's it's really really incredible what disney pulled off here yeah and there's blaster marks on the walls and everything right and actually you know those blaster marks uh, as mark was referencing earlier you know there are a number of books that are uh making reference to galaxy's edge now and kind of setting s scenes in in the planet uh, on the planet of batu and black spire outpost and um, in the Thrawn trilogy, there was a scene uh, where there was a, a battle that took place in Noga's Cantina, and there are blaster marks on the wall that correspond to that particular battle. So, uh, again, things you're reading about, and then you can go into this land and actually see them for yourself. Um, I have not read the uh, Crash of Fate book that Mark was talking about yet. It's definitely on my list of things to do. But I was talking with someone uh, just the other day about the fact that one of the things they like about the podcast is it kind of opens their eyes to some of this fine-grained detail that maybe uh, people who are primarily fans of the movies have not been exposed to. And as you learn about these things, it really does uh, kind of flesh out your appreciation for how detailed the Star Wars universe is. And that's really what we wanted to do. I don't want people to feel like you have to be a super fan to uh, read every book or every comic book. You know, if we can point out some things that are going to add to your enjoyment of any of the Star Wars related content that we talk to, then I feel like we're kind of doing our job. And interestingly enough, Tom, to your point, uh, I actually have a coworker who her and her husband had just gone down to Disney World Resort and uh, both of them had their parents with them on this trip and they had uh, decided to go into Galaxy's Edge. They had a dinner reservation for a little bit later in the evening and they assumed they weren't going to have a very long trip in there because neither of their parents were huge Star Wars fans. And they got in there and she said her mother took probably 50 photos photos that she was posting to social media and they were just wandering around in awe of how detailed that particular land was and uh, they ended up having to push their dining reservation back which I thought was you know I'm like hey these sound like pretty good people to me so um, <laughs> and and honestly I mean I, I could see having to cancel it in a reservation there are so many things to look at in there uh, and that's before you even start interacting with any of the, the characters that are walking around in the land um, the stormtroopers patrolling are always stopping and talking to people. And my understanding is that, uh, you know, even with Ray or uh, Kylo Ren, they're regularly stopping and interacting with the guests, which is, I'm not like a huge fan of, of Disney Streetmosphere in general, but this is the kind of, of interaction with, uh, with guests that really makes this land feel so authentic. And I, can I mention like two more things that I just Oh yeah. Uh, so like, um, I saw Ray, and but I was taking pictures of like the walls, control panels, and it looked like trash cans. And you know, people thought probably thought I was weird, but it was just so Star Wars, <laughs> right? You know, and the detail was like so crazy because like, people were wondering, what are he, what's he doing taking a picture of a wall, right? You know, or blaster marks or whatever. Yep. And the other thing is, every day I did the rope drop, so I learned a couple things. Um, some ways that they, I showed up like an hour early to the, you know, get through the ticket booths. Usually they, between a half an hour and 15 minutes, they start letting people into their central hub type thing. And you wait either at Frontierland or Ventureland. Right. I found out the Ventureland is actually a little bit faster because you have to go down by the Rivers of America by where Fantasmic is. So they walk you in on the only up one entrance, at least in my experience. And it's quite far away. It's all the way at the back of the park. Right. I did make the mistake of the first day going into Toontown. I knew I shouldn't have done that. 
because on the map it looks like, and I've known from my previous trips that there's no exit. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> a cul-de-sac for sure. So I made that mistake the first day, and I just you know chalked it up. But anyways, so it kind of spreads the crowd out as they walk back, and they you know say no, no running, whatever. But if you walk by New Orleans and uh, the haunted mansion and then through critter country and finally they take you in that other entrance which uh, robert said uh, by the tie fighter and through the, the imperial zone right so to speak and then they kind of get you to the left side to line up for a smuggler's run but usually i, I didn't wait more than 10 15 minutes you know if you're first a couple hundred in there so that was kind of cool yeah and i i think probably you know we've we've talked a little bit about our first impressions and um i think we should go ahead and dive into some of the attractions and our experiences there now certainly there's two one of the one of the things i did notice too like a couple of days on the way in chewy was fixing it uh x-wing fighter (laughs) i did not i did not see that that x-wing fighter ray and ray and chewy seem to be up there very often that x-wing has its problems because they're up there fixing that thing all the time see i i haven't seen the x-wing repairs yet i will say that i did get i did have a lot of fun uh over in that area and the resistance portion of the land where they've got the x-wing fighter and the a-wing uh sitting there because um those are both items that when you pull up your data pad you can hack them and when you hack them they actually will start up they'll run through their startup sequences so um they're both pretty cool. The uh, the, X, the X-Wing is a little bit more cool because you actually get steam coming out of some of the engines. And I would wait till people were getting their pictures taken and then I'd hack it. And all of a sudden, nice. you know, the X-Wing starts coming to life behind him and, uh, you know, they're spinning around. What's going on? What's going on? So, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that interactive, immersive type of activities that they provide. The one thing about Galaxy's Edge right now is that it's intended to have the two attractions. It's going to have Smuggler's Run, which is already up and running, and then the uh, Rise of the Resistance attraction, which is coming in December for uh, the Walt Disney World version and then in early January of 2020 for Disneyland. And I I think that the land certainly needs to have both attractions uh, to really be fully operational. But I would say that with uh, with what they have implemented with that data pad and the fact that you can, um, you know, snipe transmissions off the off the transmitters around the outpost and uh, you can hack all the doors and, um, you know, the X-Wing, the TIE fighter, I believe you can hack as well and, and pull schematics. So. Um, and then you can translate the various orabesh that you see around the land, which is going to be fun for a lot of kids and adults alike, really. Uh, so and even in the queue for Smuggler's Run, I know, Mark, you said that you didn't have to wait very long. But uh, when we were there, I, I want to say the typical wait was between a half hour and 45 minutes. And it never felt that long because you can do uh, various tasks in the data pad the entire time you're in the queue, uh, which made it just feel like it breezed right by. Plus, you got these amazing views that you don't get anyplace else, but in that queue of the, the Millennium Falcon that's outside and you know, the, all the detail work that they put into that as well. So, I mean, just looking at some of that stuff. And then uh, there are some other things throughout the queue that are going on as you're in there, whether you're playing the Play Disney app or not. Uh, it's it's really an enjoyable queue, and I've never found it. Whether we waited as long as it was listed as or whether it was much shorter, I, I it definitely felt shorter to me. Yeah, and I guess in all fairness, I mean, I really should consider that the Savi's Lightsaber Workshop and the Mobu's Droid Depot are are really attractions in their own right. They're just not free attractions with the land. So, Mark... Marga's Cantina is an attraction, too. Oh, absolutely. That is an excellent point, and certainly not a free one. Um, Although you can, (laughs) you know, you can make it less or more expensive depending on what kind of things you order in there. Um, I know I've had a, a couple of people complain about the drink prices, but honestly, any amusement park, alcoholic beverage is going to be pricey. And uh, I would say that the prices in there were on par with even like Paddlefish over in Disney Springs, any of the nicer restaurants. So you're certainly paying a premium to have an alcoholic beverage at a Disney park for sure. But you kind of have to consider the fact that it's not like you're going in there to have 10 of them. Um, there is a two drink maximum in Oga's Cantina. Uh, and uh, it's really worth it if you if you want to go in there and just soak up that atmosphere. And that's really what you're paying a lot for there. The price, I, I don't find that, uh, are the drinks pricey? Yes, but I, I actually have found them mostly to be 
uh, very delicious. And I also find that you're, yeah, you're paying a few bucks more, but you're paying for the atmosphere that you're you're getting to soak in when you're in Oga's Cantina. Well, and they're themed. Where else, where yeah. else can you get a, a drink that noms your lips for 30 minutes? Oh, right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah I appreciate the fact that that they really did go out of their way to to create beverages and food that are adventurous for sure, which is in many cases been a knock on different uh, uh, dining options within theme parks for a long time. Is that generally the food tends to be pretty run of the mill, and with Galaxy's Edge, I think that they're kind of pulling a lot from what was successful with Satuli Canteen in the in Pandora at uh, Animal Kingdom Park. And they've now kind of just taken that to the next level where it is otherworldly themed. And, you know, like Mark said, you've got the fuzzy tauntaun that, that has this foam that will numb your lips. There's the, the Bespin fizz. fizz, I think. Right. Yeah. That has the, the dry ice that creates kind of the bubbling effect. Oh, yeah. Did you it. guys notice that all the taps too are like levers and things from the Star Wars world? Like yeah. Hyperspace bar. Everyone is something different from the Star Wars universe. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that it's not it's not the same cantina as we see within A New Hope. But you have no doubt in your mind when you walk in there that you were in a Star Wars cantina. Yeah, that's that's exactly the feel they were going for. And there was it was extremely successful to me. Uh, you know, can it get a bit crowded in there? times can it get a bit noisy in there at times yeah but really do you want anything different out of a star wars cantina no. you want to feel that kind of crowd and that kind of noise and and to, to feel immersed within this area and you know and even the uh you know the batuans that are that are in there they you know they take it to their role if you go up there and sit at the bar the bartenders kind of had that aloof attitude you'd expect from a bartender in the star wars universe you know it just they've just taken it to that next level right Definitely, you have Rex playing the tunes, and I love the songs. I got to go there twice, so. Yeah, there's already a Spotify cool. playlist um, that you can go out, and, and they've been adding uh, additional songs to that kind of as it goes. But uh, there's been a lot of people that have visited Galaxy's Edge and have come out of there wanting to be able to listen to that music. And so uh, that is something that, that is being provided for. And it, yeah, it has callbacks to some of the original songs, and so it's kind of cool. Yeah, they did that and worked them in. Yep, and well, not just callbacks to the songs, also callbacks to the original Star Tours with uh, yeah. you know Captain Rex as now DJ <laughs> Rex and uh, you know Lightspeed to Endor. You kind of get that out of him every once in a while when he malfunctions a little bit. It's pretty yep. funny. I got to eat Olga too. I ordered Olga's uh, Obsession, which is kind of like a Jello with uh, little bubble like bubble balls and, and pop rocks. That was really good. Mm. And, and I, I tried the Batu bits too. <laughs> not not as big a fan. Well, I like the Batu bits, but uh, they have wasabi. Oh yeah, and they're really yeah. spicy. <laughs> yeah, I was like my wife. My wife Michelle, we got the Batu bits uh, when we were there the, the first time, and we didn't know that they had the wasabi peas in there, and so we're just snacking away. And my wife Michelle just can't stand wasabi, and she took one, <laughs> one bite one of those wasabi peas, and she, you can see her like patting her tongue trying to get it out of her. So it was pretty funny. I felt so badly for her, but uh, yeah, I, we put that warning out afterwards. Hey, beware, there's the wasabi peas in there. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, of all the food in Galaxy's Edge, the the items at Oga's Cantina seem to be the, the ones where I hear more mixed reviews, but when you turn over to Ronto Roasters, um, I don't know. Mark, did you get to do the Ronto wraps while you were there? Yeah, I did. I actually ate uh, the lunch or dinner one. I, I like that one, but I love the breakfast one. I think I had two of those uh, two separate days. For some reason, the, the Ronto roaster for lunch and dinner is even a little bit more dry versus the one in breakfast that had eggs and bacon and cheese and, you know, plus the sausage, which is really, really good. Right. Yeah, and, and the price is really good. I, I wonder if they if they made some changes in the time that uh, between when you were there and when we were there because we didn't have any issues. We we only had done the uh, the evening one, the the sausage with the the pork and the slaw and like the peppercorn mm -hmm. dressing, and we didn't have any issues with ours being dry. So they may have addressed that issue, but um, I did not get to try the breakfast version. I will say that you I, have to try. Oh, if yeah, you like eggs and bacon. Oh, and yeah, cheese and sausage. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I definitely need to do that. We did not get to eat at Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo, although I know Tom and Michelle have done that on a number of occasions. And it sounds once. like you did that. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you tell me what your thoughts were about that and, and what you uh, tried I out? I forgot in... the name of it, but it was kind of like flank, uh, like a flank steak or like a braised. It was pretty oh, tender. The braised yeah. shack roast? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's one of my yeah. favorites. We've done that a couple times. I love that. And too. I tried. I can't remember. I should have taken a picture of the. <laughs> I usually take pictures of menus so I can remember later. But right. One of the desserts I had. It was similar to what you get in Pandora. Uh, with, Avatar. They had the uh, Oi Oi Puff. I think it was that one. Yeah, most likely. Because they have a chocolate one. Too, right. I just had the berry whatever cheesecake one. It was very good. <laughs> Again. I like the inside of that because it's all themed and you're sitting on like these barrels. Yeah. You know, some of the seats are these kind of, I don't know what kind of barrels they are, but they look like Star Wars. Right. And now you can claim to be, now you're a barrel rider, right? So you've got yeah. a nice callback to The Hobbit as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also fun because the food is kind of delivered on a conveyor belt system up to the, the servers up front as they bring it forward to you. So that's kind of a, an interesting way for it to be uh, delivered to them and kind of very Star Wars in many regards. It almost looks like it's coming out of some food system or whatever. But uh, yeah, we've had um, we've had a couple of dishes there. We've had the shack roast, which I, I enjoy. And uh, yeah, we actually I had, that's these, what I had. Yeah, and we've also roast. had the Athorian garden loaf. Uh, which is kind of a, a, a plant-based meatloaf dish with, uh, uh, they call it a veggie mash or something like that, but it's basically mashed potatoes. And, right. and that's also extremely good. I, I have not been disappointed by anything food-wise that came out of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And really, I mean, they could have just kind of let it be, you know, fine. You know, it didn't have to be anything special. The land itself is really the attraction there, but, you know, just upping the game that much more with uh, great food and, yeah, the Ron wrap um is is another wonderful uh dish that you can just grab and go as you're you know meandering your way around and exploring the land it's it's really wonderful yep and i did have two blue milks and one green because i had to try it but actually the blue the blue milk i liked them both kind of equally but it was really nice on a hot day because it was hot there when it was in the 90s when i was there um end of summer type thing but it's kind of refreshing because it's like a slushy kind of has ice in it when you first you know start to taste it so they're definitely different tastes i did not I get try a, a mixed yeah i did not get a chance to try the green one we did try the blue milk um on one of our visits there and I, it kind of makes me wonder if some people just kind of get psyched out a little bit because they know it's and not a milk-based beverage um, and you know potentially they have some issues with the rice milk or whatever the case may be but um, I didn't think that it had an unusual texture it was it was definitely very smoothie like um, it had a, a nice fruity flavor to it um, and it was it was much better than I was expecting I'd, I'd seen some uh, reports about it where people were kind of making it sound like it was awful and uh, that was not my experience with it at all and Orgas yeah, uh, serves it too, Orgas Cantina, but they have a, like a cookie on the top. Right, and theirs is less of a frozen version. It's more yeah. of a milk, a milk consistency. Yeah. Yeah, when my uh, when my wife Michelle and I went, uh, we got it, and Michelle was kind of eh with it, but I enjoyed it very much. I like the blue milk. We haven't tried the green milk yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to trying that possibly when we get to uh, Walt Disney World here in December. Hopefully, be in there for it's when more of a citrus taste. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, just for any of our listeners that are unfamiliar with um, the differences in terms of the blue and green milk between Disneyland Resort and uh, what is going to be implemented at Walt Disney World Resort is that at Walt Disney World Resort, they do have just the plain versions of uh, both the blue and green milk, but they also have alcoholic versions of those. Uh, and I believe the blue milk comes with a rum and the green milk comes with a tequila. Uh, so there's gonna be you know, another option at Walt Disney World that's not available out at Disneyland. Uh, really in Disneyland Park, the only place you're gonna be able to get alcohol at all is within Oga's, uh, I believe. And that was a big deal because, uh, you know, there's never been alcohol served outside of Club 33 within Disneyland Park itself. So even having one spot within it that uh, they served alcohol was was quite a big deal. And who knows if they'll eventually integrate it to uh, some of the other places within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But it was a, a big step for Disneyland when they first decided to, to make that leap. Right. And it's probably the cause of their two drink minimum also to get you out within like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, mostly standing too. Right. And it was, you know, we, we kind of experienced where, uh, 
depending on how busy it is and, and the speed of your server, you know, two drinks within 45 minutes can be kind of a big ask, but I didn't see anyone really getting shoved out the door when we were there um, as long as they were, you know, kind of actively ordering and not just kind of standing around and, and taking photos. Um, Olga wasn't cracking down on no, you in there. No, <laughs> she, she seemed pretty laid back about it when we were there. So um, now you already had mentioned Doc Ondar's uh, Dan of Antiquities, and that is kind of the, the largest central um, merchandise location within Black Spire Outpost there. And certainly the most visually stunning. I mean, uh, not only do you have roughly an eight foot tall Ithorian animatronic, which is impressive in its own right uh, in Doc Ondar, but the entire shop is, uh, is, as it was mentioned earlier on the show, you kind of come in and it's a circular room. There Even is the doorway is round right. and it slides to the side. It's yep. Cool. Yep. It is very impressive. And I mean, there were plenty of people just standing there kind of marveling at the door when we were going in, but uh, it's, it's not a huge space. I mean, there were a few times we went in there and it felt pretty packed, uh, but there is all kinds of merchandise. And as Tom mentioned, the detail in terms of the, the items that they have on the wall, it's like Star Wars Applebee's on crack. Uh, there are so many tchotchkes on the wall. Uh, I had to take video of it just to be able to look at it kind of offline and see what I was missing. Then the really cool thing is right now behind uh, Doc Ondar, there is uh, the helmet and the rifle from the upcoming Mandalorian series on Disney Plus. So um, they've got some cool Easter eggs in there for not only past Star Wars stuff, but future Star Wars, um, you know, offerings that are going to be coming out later this year. So check that out if you get in there. Um, Mark, did you? The Kyber make... crystals are in there. Yeah, and the holocrons. And, and there's even like creatures in tanks and the water level moves up and down and stuff happens in these little tanks. Right. It's kind of cool. This is really the location that is going to have um, your kind of higher end collectible stuff. So they had uh, an, uh, a TIE pilot helmet that was in there that was upwards of $400. They have uh, some very cool masks and um, Sith robe, uh, I believe, on one of the walls there, as well as a bunch of uh, kind of statues or uh, busts that you can put on your desk. So uh, they also have legacy, like legacy uh, lightsabers. Yeah, lightsaber. Yep. Yep. So these are going to be, if you want to buy a lightsaber that is uh, kind of a, a replica of what you might have seen in the movies, be it uh, Darth Maul's lightsaber or Luke's or Obi-Wan, that's where you're going to find that. Um, if you're and lucky enough. looking replicas, by the way, not just kind of the plastic ones you'll right. see in some of the shops. I mean, they, these are really legitimate looking replicas of the ones you've seen in many of the films and in the animated series. And, and I didn't, they were flying like hotcakes. People mm -hmm. were buying them left and right. Yeah, and I didn't think that they were ridiculously priced for what they were. Um, they were very solid hilts. They were kind of, they seemed a little bigger than, um, than they should have been, but I know they've got a lot of electronics packed in those hilts. So, uh, and, and they were all in the kind of low to mid hundred dollar range. And I'm sure that, you know, the blade is extra on top of that. I'm, I would guess, um, but still, I saw a lot of people buying those. I saw a lot of people walking around the parks, both parks really, uh, with their sheets from uh, the Sabi's Lightsaber Workshop as well. Yeah, Disney was making plenty of money. <laughs> I remember the first day, it was the, it was the second day of it actually doing for the, kind of the previews when you had to do a reservation at the time. And uh, we were there waiting in line because this, at this point you had to wait in line to get into Oga's Cantina. And there was a family of four or five in front of us and they all like had a droid and they all had a lightsaber. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm so glad we own Disney stock. Yes. <laughs> and don't have a family of five with you. And yes. a lot of people made the droids too. I mean, there's tons of people with the droids. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, in the droid, the droid shop too. There's a the full size R two D two working model of what twenty five thousand. Yeah, yep, yep. And I talked to the cast member there. I said, "Well, do people buy these?" Oh yeah. So one guy bought two. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, Bob, there there is you? some there is yeah. some money out there in Southern California in case uh, in, in case people didn't recognize that, um, and certainly other places within the country where they can go out there and uh, drop some serious cash in these stores if you they have want to. R two D twos, right, know. right. They they armed them each with a lightsaber from Sabi's <laughs> workshop, and they're uh, they've got their own droid battle going on. 
I mean, uh, you know, one thing I just took in is, what, I mean, yes, Doc Ondars was great and, uh, you know, Droid Depot and all that, but just walking through the marketplace itself, it just, you know, the, the stuff they had hanging, the uh, the different parts of the wall and everything, you just really, it was another place that brought a tear to my eye when I first walked through it because you've seen in so many of the films and, and, and the animated series and such, uh, so much of these marketplaces that are similar to that. And it was just so accurate to me. It just really, really felt like Star Wars the first time you walked through that area. Yeah, Plus all the sounds, too. There's sound. Mm -hmm. Everything has sound. Even the, the middle of the bench where you sit down is like a circular and it looks like kind of an evaporator. But that's making sounds. And, you know, certain ports in the wall are making sounds. It's just the droids make sounds. You know, anything that's around has sound, too. And the cast members are authentic about how they interact with the guests. I mean, uh, uh, Tom, you mentioned when you were there the first time, they asked you where you were from and kind of tripped you up a little bit because they didn't know where San Diego was. Because uh, they are really approaching it. They are on the planet of Batu, and uh, you were a visitor to their world. And, you know, it, when when you ask about prices, they're given in credits. When you want to run your credit card, they tell you to put it in the droid. Um you know, it's bright suns Your and rising moons. Yeah, data pad. Yeah, yep. And so and of them have their their own stories. Like if you ask them, you know, how long have you been here, or whatever the case may be, they'll tell you a backstory. A lot of them, on you know, if they grew up there, or if they were brought here by Cookie Tugs, or whatever the case may be, they they have something to tell you about why they're on Black Spire at Black Spire Outpost. And what's strange is that it is so easy for that kind of stuff to come off as awkward or just clunky. And I was impressed because they all seemed like they were completely comfortable in their own skin. They all kind of made you feel like you just you just wanted to believe the story they were telling you. Definitely. Yeah, completely. And, and, you know, and well, one thing I'll ask you guys right off the bat here, and I, I feel this way, and we've been there numerous times already. You guys have made multiple visits during your trips to Disneyland here recently. When you're in there, you almost forget that you're at Disneyland. I, every once in a while, there's something that brings you back to reality. Maybe there's a security guard who are still in their security, you know, Disney security outfits or whatever. But for the most part, you, you almost walk when you leave the land and you walk back into Disneyland, the park, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're right here. Yeah. You almost forget about it. Yep. It's, it's so believable and immersive that you do. I mean, I found that happening quite a bit. And I'm like, then when you walk, so there's three entrances or exits, whatever. So you walk through them and it's like tunnels and it kind of about halfway through changes, transitions to whatever land you're going into. But you can't see anything else other than Batu when you're back there. And I thought that was totally amazing. Yeah. And it's interesting, those transitions, I, I would almost describe them as gradually abrupt because <laughs> there it's not a very long space that these changes occur within but they have merged that point where where you go from the park into galaxy's edge um they have have tried to match it so closely on both sides that you really are you're you're walking through critter country or whatever and then boom you're you're in galaxy's edge and it happens within a span of maybe 50 yards railroad, right, right. Right. And uh, and again, you know, uh, as you mentioned, you know, one of those entrances is kind of underneath uh, where the railroad runs. And when you're riding the Disney Railroad, you you don't see anything about Galaxy's Edge. You're facing the other direction. Um, but, you know, coming out, you know that that trestle that you're walking under is is where the train runs. Another thing I, I found that uh, Disneyland in particular, I haven't been to the Walt Disney World version yet, but Disneyland's done in particular is uh, when you're when you're there, you, you know, you when you're going into and fro the parks, you, you will see a lot of the cast members when they get off duty or coming on duty and they're kind of uh, cruising to their different spots or there. And I know it's something that Walt wouldn't have been thrilled about, but it's just kind of the way the situation is. But the one thing I've never seen outside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, outside of Black Spire Outpost, is any of those inhabitants anywhere else in the park, they've kept that really close to the vest, tight, you know, trying to even make it that much more that you only experience this when you're actually in Black Spire Outpost. Yeah, I agree. I didn't see them anywhere else uh, outside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And interestingly enough, I mean, I thought that, uh, you know, we had made some comments back when the original cast member outfits for Galaxy's Edge were released. And I thought that they looked very cool and very authentic. But uh, seeing the cast members actually wearing them again, they are very comfortable in garb that is not 
what we're used to wearing, I guess. Um, and so that does kind of add that extra layer. You don't feel like you're interacting with cast members. You feel like you're interacting with just citizens of, of Black Spire Outpost. And I love that so many of them have even bought into it even more. Like they do their hair certain ways that look like it'd be something that Ray would wear right. or, or Princess Leia would wear, you know, something along those lines. And I, I, I find it, you know, it just takes it to, again, it's, it just takes things to another level. It pluses things for mm-hmm. sure. No. Definitely. I noticed the, even the higher ups, like the man, you know, cast members who are like managers, stuff like that, they had their hair in you know, raised hair and they had like tunic on and they, so they didn't have like fancy clothes on, which is awesome. Right. Yeah. It's, it's clearly going all the way to the top and they're all totally embracing it. Now, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the marketplace and that area is certainly visually stunning. Um, Mark, what was your interaction within the marketplace? I mean, did you do some shopping while you were in there and, and visit all I the did shops? A little bit. I got a millennium Falcon that kind of had the black spire, uh, buildings around it. It was kind of like a little showpiece. So cool. I try to, you know, each trip have something that helps me remember the trip. And Millennium, Millennium Falcon is is my favorite ship beside the uh, X-wing. Yeah. So, and I think we're saving the best for last. But we'll talk about that. In a <laughs> oh, <minute>. for sure. <laughs> um, something about the Millennium yeah, Falcon. Place, but some of the shops are very small. I like the, the merchandise is kind of authentic. It's, there's nothing like. Um, like plastic looked like it was made in a toy factory. Right. <laughs> um, so it, it's different merchandise than I've ever seen type of merchandise. So that way is refreshing, but the shops are very small. Um, there is no air conditioning. So it got quite, when I was there, like I said, it was in right. the 90s. So it got quite hot and stuffy in some of those little nooks and corners of the shop, but shops, but I love the, the overhanging, you know, canopies and just all the little details around everywhere you look, there's something little. Yeah. And I, we had the same experience. I will say that I was very impressed with the merchandise that we found, um, especially within the marketplace itself. Uh, I, have a Jedi costume um, that uh, I had purchased last year and I actually ended up upgrading the belt and the tunic because the the items that they had in one of the shops there in the marketplace were really reasonably priced for the quality that they were. so that was kind of like my splurge purchase on this trip. But I also had gotten a, a set of Han Solo's dice um, from my wife uh, about a year and a half ago for Father's Day and uh, had those hanging in my car. Well, they have the same type of thing within the marketplace and they were actually less expensive and better quality than uh, the ones that she'd found for me. So she actually. I agree with it, you because I have yeah. one in my car. And, but those look bigger and, and better. Oh, yeah. And they were, I mean, they had nice heft to them. Um, I love that they've got the Sabacc deck, you know, so you can you can buy a deck of Sabacc cards and has the rules where you can go and play it at home. So uh, just the the general quality of the merchandise. I saw a lot of kids walking around with stuff from the Toy Darien uh, toy shop there. Um, you know, the the uh, Wampa ice creature or, um, and, you know, the Banthas or whatever the case may be. They had all kinds of stuff in there that uh, younger kids would really love. And it, as Mark said, it was super authentic. I mean, uh, different textures and uh, different materials than you'd see pretty much anywhere else. And nothing I, on. I wanted to get a pork, but I didn't see any other than small ones. Right. They must have sold out of them because they're very popular. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Porgs and the Loath Cats were, were selling a lot when we were there uh, several times. But uh, the other thing about the merchandise as well is that you won't see anything in there that says Disneyland on it. You know, right. There'll be plenty of stuff that says uh, Galaxy's Edge or Black Spire Outpost, but you will not see anything that actually says uh, Disneyland within it. Yeah. The only thing I got was kind of a guilty little pleasure is they have Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, bags, like uh, reusable bags. So yep. I had to get one of those. Yep. I got one of those as well with one of the uh, purchases that we made. Actually, interestingly enough, out there at Disneyland Resort, one of the one of the great items that you can get is the Spira gift card. And it is actually like a Batuan coin um, that is also a gift card. And uh, Tom had been kind enough to get me one of those when he was out there when the land had first opened. But, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking we were going to make some purchases anyway. I'm like, well, if we're going to make 
make purchases, then I may as well just get another one. And we couldn't find them anywhere. We asked around. They said that they were sold out and they weren't going to get them back in stock. And two days later, we found them there. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure whether they're running on limited quantities or whether they were reordering and, and the cast members that we were dealing with didn't, just didn't know that. But um, they are a great little way to take a piece of Black Spire Outpost home with you. And again, it's a $100 gift card. It costs $100 to buy. You can turn around and spend it on other merchandise you want to buy uh, and go home with this really nice hefty coin um, that is, it's just, it's a really cool uh, take home item. And it's reloadable too. So exactly. you can put more money on it if you want. So you can use it as many times as you want. Yep. And you can use it outside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as well. So if you're, you know, if you want to use it to pay for your room or a meal or whatever the case may be, um, they will accept them pretty much any place where Disney gift cards are accepted. All right. So that um, that should wrap it up for the merchandise portion. Now, I think what we'll do now is uh, I, I sense that Mark was getting ready to talk a little bit about the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run attraction. And uh, that is certainly the last piece that we can talk about directly as as we both said we did not do the lightsaber or the droid building experiences um i will be talking about that in uh probably early january we're going to be out in walt disney world at galaxy's edge in december to do rise of the resistance and i'm going to do both of those experiences with my son so we will be back to talk more about that then but uh without a doubt uh the centerpiece of star wars galaxy's edge right now is the star wars uh, is the millennium falcon smugglers run attraction uh it is a huge building uh it's got the the life-size falcon parked out front and uh essentially the backstory is that hondo onaka has now, worked out a deal with Chewbacca where in exchange for use of the Millennium Falcon to run some uh, transport missions, quote unquote, um, that uh, Hondo Anaka is going to provide Chewbacca with the, the materials he needs to repair the Falcon. So uh, this particular attraction, um, there's a great pre-show with an amazing animatronic Hondo Onaka. And then you are grouped up in groups of six, two pilots, two gunners, and two engineers, and escorted to the uh, the hold and then the, the Falcon cockpit to run this smuggling mission. And um, Mark, I think you said you read, uh, wrote it about 10 times in the time that you were there? Yeah, about 10 times. I did all the positions except for the left gunner. Um, typically, I did a standby line except first thing in the morning right um just to save time and there's actually like two standby ways you can go up people don't know that there's like two staircases um typically that gets you in there a little faster but if you use the standby line uh be prepared you'll probably be an engineer or a gunner right because most people want the pilot you know for good good reason right so but i was happy i actually like some observation about the engineers you can see everything which is nice right um, I did the gunner the least amount of times and I, I never figured out how to do it, take it off automatic. So I'll, next time I go off to figure <laughs> out that. Cause you can you actually put it in manual targeting, I guess. Oh. Yeah. I'd ask you at the beginning if you want to do manual or automatic. Um, Cause that was I, my first time on there and I was so excited. I didn't even notice that it said yeah. anything. And it but is. They're to your side, either your right or left. That was the only thing that was a little difficult. You kind of had to be looking right or left the whole time, except for the pilots that look straight on. And honestly, so, yeah, it's a lot like that with the, sorry, with the engineer as well, um, because you have to essentially flip any toggle or push any button that's flashing. And depending on your pilots, that can be a lot um, yes. <laughs> where it will it will distract your view away from the main viewport. So uh, certainly with a pilot, you're going to be able to see the most um, and kind of soak up the majority of the ride. Or, you know, again, there were people on some of the rides that we went on that were a little bit checked out in terms of doing their their uh, given yeah. role. And we're just kind of watching, which I I can totally believe it um, or can't blame them for yeah, it. You can do that. It will automatically do things for you. It won't get as good of a score. Right. But I think my favorite is, and most people say the right pilot, just because you do up and down uh, and then the hyperspace jump and uh, left pilot does left and right. So, but you got to really work together. And some, some of the missions, people were really good pilots and others. Oh boy. Right. And don't forget uh, left pilot is also the brakes. Yes. which uh, which can be another great way to damage the Falcon if you don't know that. Um, it also bears noting that if you're the right pilot, um, forward is, yes. yeah, it's 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 kind of... A lot uh, of people didn't understand that. Right, right. 
yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's the opposite of what you would expect. And we had, we had people that you know, kept running into things and they didn't understand why. So, and then um, when you, when you actually exit it, you see, you know, damage things flash and there are certain phrases that they say how bad it's damaged. And there's one, like one, we got off and pretty much they said they had to, you know, basically trash the ship. Right. Right. And, uh, and again, so they, you know, you've done really <laughs> not so well. Right. And the cool thing about it is, is that the, the hallway that you exit into is customized based on how well you perform on the mission. So if you uh, kind of get out of there with minimal scratches to the ship, you're in a pretty pristine hallway and um, it can, you know, they have a few different versions of that. So um, like maybe one of the lights is flashing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but we've had others where there were panels missing and just all kinds of insulation coming out and sparks everywhere. So, um, you know, sometimes it's it can be a plus to, to have a pilot that maybe isn't quite as skilled um, because you get to see a little bit of that, you know, alternate uh, exit to the uh, to the cockpit. Plus, you also get a couple other things. If you're left handed, it might be better to sit on the left. <laughs> True. You know, it might be easier. And there are people that will trade. I mean, once you've given your role in the ship, it, it is, uh, I guess, commonly acceptable that you can say, is anyone willing to trade me for, you know, left gunner or whatever the case may be? Um, you, you'll have varying amounts of success. Some people don't really care. They just want to ride the attraction. Other people are, you know, I got pilot and I want to be pilot. So, you know, let's let it be at that. But um, and usually the first two people that when they, out of the six get the pilots and then the gunners and then the engineers. So that's why I was saying single lighter, rider line, pretty much get engineer. Right, right. And I, and I unless you switch. Just like anything else, any other attraction at, uh, at Disneyland or Walt Disney World, you can also ask if if you were giving a position that you didn't want necessarily to say, I really want to be pilot, you can wait a around and go with the next team and be the pilot. Not if you're a single rider, obviously, but if you are, you know, there with a, a group of two, a group of four, whatever the case may be, you can ask for your what position you'd like to be in right i do i do remember that the first ride that we had on the falcon was with tom and michelle um and my wife and i were were there and uh the cast member clearly didn't want to deal with with you know juggling around who was going to be what so he just handed all six roles to tom's wife michelle and she doled them out accordingly um so different cast members kind of approach it differently i thought that was kind of funny um but you know, other cast members are, as as Mark was saying, are just going to hand it out based on what position you are in line. And uh, now, what I like too, and this is totally different than any other attraction that I've been on, is once you get those roles, you go into like Millennium Falcon, where the chess table is. I forgot the official name of it. You kind of go in a waiting area, but it's you're just there with your team and some of the other, and they call you by color. So you might have like five minutes to just walk around and look. Yeah, it's a totally different, unique queuing system than they've ever done before that I can recall. Right. And there are times... I was wondering how people got pictures on with, uh, you know, how they had time and there wasn't like 50,000 people trying to cram in there. Right. Yeah. And they do limit the number of, of flight groups that are within that hold area of the Falcon. Um, there's always, you know, I think the first thing we did when we got in there... Tom grabbed our camera and was like, get back behind the Dejarc table. And so we went back and got our picture taken there. And uh, there are times where alarms will go off in the hold there and there's one flashing button. So uh, that usually gets relegated to an industrious kid that's wandering around. You know, people will go, go hit the button, go hit the button. Or in our or case, it was Michelle, <laughs> <laughs> the child size adult. Fork, there's fork nests in there. And the other thing is, so like I just recently went California for a work trip. It wasn't anywhere near Disneyland, but on the way home, the way there, so I watched the three original Star Wars movies, and I was specifically watching for Millennium Falcon interiors or any details, and they have like that down to a T. It's amazing. If you ever get a chance to rewatch them and just look for anything actually like a Millennium Falcon, like the, the Baccarat table, or they, there's even a 
control panel. It's, they replicated it exactly, even yeah. the cockpit, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's very impressive. And again, this is why I say, you know, you may not be a huge theme park person, but if you love Star Wars and you have any interest in going to see Galaxy's Edge, I would strongly encourage it. I mean, you could spend a huge chunk of your trip uh, in that land and still be finding things, you know, before it's time to before it's time to go home. So, uh, and there's just something about being in that space that is really special. So, um, I'm again, I'm hopeful that it is something that they continue with. I've, uh, you know, there's been some rumors that it's something they may even choose to expand on. I think it's probably premature to say whether that's going to happen or not. I think there's space considerations of both parks, but, um, Certainly with the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel that's going to be coming to Walt Disney World um, or the Halcyon, depending on how you've heard it mentioned, uh, where that's going to be kind of a, a multi-day uh, interactive um, themed Star Wars uh, experience for guests. I think that is going to be incredible to see how that pans out. I'm super excited to see the details when when they start releasing more of that information. and. Before that even comes to fruition, we're going to have Rise of the Resistance opening, as I said, at Walt Disney World in December and uh, out in Disneyland in January of 2020. So that attraction, uh, Tom, I think you were even having lunch with an Imagineer and, and they said that was going to be really the the crown jewel of that particular land. Yeah, he, he, we did have lunch with an Imagineer at Walt Disney World, and it was one of the Imagineers who was working on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the time, right there at the Walt Disney World Resort, which hadn't opened at that point. And uh, he was saying, you know, look, you know, everything in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is going to blow you away. We were able to tell him, we, you know, this was right after we went to the, the first visit in Disneyland. And we were able to, you know, tell him what a great job they did. And he's like, just wait. When Rise of the Resistance opens, it's going to blow your mind. It's that good. And, you know, just some of the footage we saw at the D23 Expo just a couple weeks ago. Uh, every time I see another little glimpse of this attraction, I, 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 it, it does. It looks like it's going to blow us away. I'm, I'm so excited to actually get to experience it coming up here in, in December. So I had a quick question for you guys. Have you ever, have you ridden uh, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run at different times of the day and night? I have mainly ridden it um, kind of late morning, early afternoon. I, I didn't, I don't think we rode it at night at all. It was getting to be evening uh, one time that we rode it, uh, but not, not at nighttime, no. Yeah, I've never done it at night, but I do, I have so heard you some need to. You need to do it at night because it actually changes. It's the same, you know, experience, but it's dark. Uh oh. So I, I didn't ride it till at night till the last night. I'm like, man, oh my goodness, it was dusk in the game because it was dusk, you know, in the ride and traction mm -hmm. because it was dusk outside. Yeah, that and makes total sense. I hadn't. The later it got. So yeah. It was I almost hadn't... like a little bit different experience. Yeah, I hadn't and even then, considered you know, that. Every run is not exactly the same. Like sometimes we would have to shoot asteroids depending on timing sometimes we'd have to shoot tie fighters in the asteroids sometimes we would kind of skip over the asteroids and there was like two different landing zones so they vary it a little bit yeah and that's good to know i think i wrote it four times and it was pretty similar for the most part but I, again i the times that we were doing engineer i was pretty preoccupied <laughs> hitting buttons and flipping switches um yep. And you can hit multiple buttons at the same time. Right. I discovered that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Face roll on the console. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old gamer's trick, right? Um, yeah. So uh, I guess we'll we'll finish up with what are you guys looking forward to in the land uh, within the next few months? And uh, what are your thoughts kind of on the future of, of interactive Star Wars within the Disney parks? I talked about it just a little bit ago, Rise of the Resistance. It looks phenomenal. It looks like it's going to take leaps and bounds ahead of what you've experienced in any attraction ever at a Disney park, at a Disney resort. Um, I'm very excited about that. Uh, the Galactic Star Cruiser. I know that's going to crush my bank account, but we do need to find a way to do that because that's just how we roll. <laughs> we just love Star Wars so much. It's that, for that, the children, Tom. That's right. It's always for the children. It's always for the younglings. Uh, you know, that's just something that's going to take, you know, it, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, that too. Black Spire Outpost, you know, let us live our Star Wars dream to a point. Uh, that just seems like it's going to take it over and above where you're actually going to be in Star Wars. So it's it's all incredible. I'm so excited for it. It's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. 
I think there's going to be a lot of fathers uh, and probably a good number of mothers that are like, oh, I have to take the kids down to uh, to do the lightsaber training remote thing. I mean, it's for the kids, right? Um, when it's really them that wants to be in there uh, fighting the remote. Oh, I'm going to take my 21-year-old son. <laughs> for the kids, right? Exactly. Oh, for the children. Or for the younglings. we got to keep it themed. It's like a cruise ship where all the meals and everything are included. Right. you got to do it at least once. Yeah. And I will say that, I mean, I love the idea that... Uh, that you know there's not going to be parking right at the hotel there's the starport you park at you kind of shuttle up to this to the uh, star cruiser itself and then the same type of uh, taking a shuttle down to the surface of batu where they're going to have the view screens on the inside of the vehicle that's transporting you and it's going to just keep it so ultra immersive um I just I can only imagine the types of things that they're going to offer within the within that hotel experience as well. Um, I, I hesitate to even call it a hotel because I think it's going to be so much more than that. Definitely. So I, I you know, agree with what Tom said, too. But I, I do want to do the little things, too. My next bit of trips, I'm going in November to Walt Disney World. So I'm going to check that out. And even though the Rise of Resistance won't be open, but I want to do things like the Play Disney app and you know to try to hack things and i've learned a couple things even in <laughs> recording this podcast good and you know i think i see a lightsaber building experience in my future maybe not the droid one because i you know i don't want a giant paperweight but they're, they're pretty cool right um but to explore more of the land try more of the food um different dishes things like that and and just hang around and get some of the interactive stuff um, that happens throughout the day. That's kind of cool. Like I was watching the, the Vibe Moradi, the spy. Yeah. Like she's got like purple hair, but one point she was walking by like real quiet and like hiding around corners and then some stormtroopers are coming. So she hid behind these like water tanks <laughs> and like, you know, telling people not to tell them where she was. And it was so interactive. And then she tries to recruit uh, resistance fighters and yep. spies. You know, throughout the day, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. The interesting thing about that Datapad app is that depending on the jobs that you take, um, you can gain uh, allegiance with either the First Order or the Resistance, or you can stay neutral. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, there are characters uh, I, I asked, I went up to uh, V Marathi and asked if I could get a picture with her. And she looks at me and she's like, are you resistance or are you, you know, uh, first order? And I said, oh, definitely resistance. And so she was willing to do a, a casual photo uh, based on that. But, you know, there different characters are going to react differently to you. I walked by a couple of stormtroopers that were uh, harassing uh, one of the one of the uh, residents of Batu, And uh, I'm like, oh, come on, leave her alone. You know, what are you harassing her for? And, and one of them just turned around and started going to town on me. So uh, it's just fun. You can interact with them as little or as much as you want. And, uh, you know, they all stay. I can only imagine how hot it is in those uh, in that armor uh, on a day like the one that Mark was talking about or the first Saturday that we were there. They've got to be broiling in there. But, uh, you know, they stay right in character and they have a great time with it. Yeah, and also with the uh, the Play Disney app, another thing, yes, you can, uh, of course, you know, uh, decode a lot of things, steal plans for the TIE echelon, whatever the case may be, but also keep it open when you uh, do Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run because whatever credits you earn uh, during that will show up on your account. So just just keep that in mind when you're when you're there and helping Hondo to, you know, get that coaxium back to the Right. You know. And I believe early on before the land had opened, there was some talk that there may be uh, like in, within Doc Anders or whatever that uh, you may be able to haggle price. I don't know if credits will ever come into that um, where based on the number of credits you have, there may be some sort of discount available. But I, you know, I haven't heard any details about that. I don't know that at this point that's something that they're going to uh, implement. But certainly it's a, a fun way to keep score. And, um, you know, as I said, you can build your allegiance with the resistance or the first order and have different experiences with those characters based on uh, what your what your particular allegiance is. So, um, and you know, even with the droids that we were talking about, the personality chips, there are personality chips for the droids that will ally them uh, more or less with uh, one side or the other. So uh, there's so many different variables that go into what kind of experience you're gonna have in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But I think that without a doubt, the thing that we can say is that it is ultra immersive and you will not be disappointed if you 
you are a Star Wars fan, uh, you will walk in there and you will feel like you are in that universe. Yep, Chewie, we're home. Right? That's right. We are home. So I think with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it for this episode. Uh, we're going to kind of bypass it. We were in a little bit longer than uh, than I originally planned, so we're not going to do any Holonet news this week. Uh, but certainly if you are out there and you're considering a visit Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and you have questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us at uh, jtapodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest at jtapodcast. Uh, Tom also has has a podcast that he does with his wife, Michelle, called the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Uh, and he will give you some information about how you can find them. Sure. Thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah, we are the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. We focus on most things, Disney trips to the parks, and etc. But we also uh, talk Star Wars. We talk Marvel. We talk films. Uh, so uh, please come and listen to our podcast. We're pretty much everywhere where you normally get podcasts. Apple Podcasts is usually the best place to find us. And you want to follow us along on uh, social media. We're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Yeah, and I would definitely say that, you know, if you're a person that loves to listen to podcasts and you find a podcast that you really enjoy, uh, the best way that you can promote us and help to to grow the podcast is going to be just to tell a friend um, or many friends uh, about it and and get them to come out and give us a listen as well. Um, we really do want to, you know, provide a service, which is in, in our case, uh, you know, trying to kind of flesh out the Star Wars stories that you're already familiar with and help you to really enjoy a little bit more of the detail that goes into all these worlds and certainly star wars galaxy's edge is a, a wonderful place where you can actually see some of that come to life so uh definitely hope you enjoyed the uh the podcast episode if you want to reach out to us and talk about your experience please do so uh or again like i said if you have any questions drop us a line so um, with that being said mark thank you so much for joining us this week and sharing your experience out at disneyland and star wars galaxy's edge Thank you for inviting me, Tilda Spire. Tilda Spire, yep. And that is, if you're going to go to Galaxy's Edge, get used to that. That is the common farewell that they use out there. Uh, and uh, you will hear it often. So, again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. 